Merry Christmas and welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast Festivus Series. All month long, we're celebrating your favorite holiday films. Movies like Black Christmas, the 2019 remake. Silent Night, the Silent Night Dummy remake. Jack Frost, the Shannon Elizabeth version, and more. Tune in all December long as we revisit these Christmas classics. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I am Ryan from ColdSploitation.com and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. <clears throat> How's it going? Going pretty well. We are coming at you remotely yet again. Hopefully towards the end of our remote sessions as uh, the coronavirus vaccine gets distributed. And we are uh, probably going to be blanketed with snow pretty soon as well in our region. We're going to get about half a foot, possibly a foot. And perfect time for that because we're in the midst of our Festivus series for 2020. And we've covered a few different um, movies on the on the podcast so far this year. We did uh, Silent Night, or the um, remake of Silent Night, Deadly Night. We've done the Black Christmas remake from 2019. And now for the fun part. The fun half. <laughs> the one uh, that... that isn't ho- the one that's not horror really. Yeah, exactly. The one that shies away from the horror genre. Uh, while still having some, some a little bit of uh, of horrorness to it, I actually have a fright rag shirt with a design from this movie. So it is in the wheelhouse of horror fans um, for cinema, and I'm talking about the 1988 uh, rendition, I should say, of um, Christmas Carol, Bill Murray's Scrooged. So, to start things off, you had not seen Scrooge, and that was kind of a surprise to me. I figured that this would be one of those films that you had seen previously and and knew all about. Yeah, being you know a nice big Bill Murray fan, but I guess because it's Christmas related, and let alone a uh, a Christmas Carol related, I stayed away from it. Well, and I'm not, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of the Christmas Carol story. And not only, you know, um, being a Bill Murray fan, but I'm just surprised, you know, because you're a fairly a Richard big, Donner film fan. Well, Richard Donner, you're a fairly big 80s comedy fan in general. Um, and so I, I was, yeah, it just caught me by surprise that, uh, you know. Well, you know, I can't, I can't honestly say that I've ever seen this until yesterday. Pop up on uh, TV. It's not as common as some of the other films that you might think of for um uh, for Christmas time, but I I will say that I've seen AMC show it quite a bit in the past. Uh, it's it's just one of those films that AMC picks up, but you're not going to find it on Freeform uh, as part of their. What about days Turner Classic with uh, Ben Mankiewicz? Hi, folks. And make wins here. I don't know. Is he a little too high class, highbrow for uh, for no? Scrooge? Too too busy playing the crap that is. It's a Wonderful Life and uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street over and over again. Yeah, yeah. But I, I I will say that even this year I've seen AMC play it. I think that's pretty much the only channel that really gets it gets play on. TBS isn't allowed to play anything other than a Christmas story these days. That's right. That's it. Um. Anyway, I've se- I've seen Scrooge a couple times, and it's not one of those movies that I come back to every year. Um. Though revisiting it, it is you know I I really enjoy it for what it is. Um. You know, it sits in a very. Uh. I don't know, very unique place of being sort of a meta commentary on a Christmas carol and also being one of 
I would say the eighties, Bill Murray, uh, his, one of his finer moments in cinema at that time. Um, well, to be fair in this one, he is literally playing Peter Vankman. Pretty if much. Was, yeah. If he was a court, you know, a, uh, TV channel exec, he got promoted from doing his, uh, public syndicated, uh, X-File show to run the network. Yeah, he's definitely doing one of those um, 80s Bill Murray shticks of mm-hmm. being sort of the asshole character um, over the top antics and um, I, I a think, downright bastard but he's yeah. got that charisma that makes him, you'd be like, you know this guy's a bastard but God, something about him yeah, you know, especially in the beginning of the film, because obviously, right right away when you see when you meet him, you know that um, he is an asshole. He's a giant asshole. He in that entire boardroom scene, he's an asshole. Yet he's not one of those executives that is very uptight and um, verklempt. He is uh, at least he he has a sarcastic side. He has a humorous side, and that's kind of like at odds with what you might see in some of these other films, or or even in A Christmas Carol, where um, Ebenezer Scrooge is played very, very straight, very, very um, serious, and that's not the character that Bill Murray represents with Frank in this movie. He is, uh, you know, yeah, he's an asshole. He's still a miser, but he's young and... uh... Viral, uh, you know, virulent compared to like usually what you get for Scrooge, just being like, oh, I'm just an old miser. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. For, I, I definitely find that interesting that the film went in that direction where, you know, uh, Bill Murray's character is not Ebenezer Scrooge. He is, I think they made it clear to make that difference in this movie because it's more, like I said, it's more of a, a meta commentary on A Christmas Carol rather than a straight adaptation of it. Um, there's, you know, they, they, they recognize that A Christmas Carol is its own uh, fictional tale. And they're actually putting on a, a version of A Christmas Carol in the film as well. So it's clear that they're not going for exactly A Christmas Carol. And yet, you know, the beats and tone of this movie often come straight back to A Christmas Carol. And it's, you know, a meta commentary and also an adaptation. It kind of sits in a weird limbo between the two. Um, should we should we take a break real quick? Because we're already kind of getting into the uh, into the nitty gritty of the film. And we normally just do a little introduction before we get into that whole thing. So maybe we'll we'll stop. We'll pause. And we'll talk about the beer that we have on the show today. And I don't even know if you have, we didn't talk about this, but um, <laughs> do you have a beer for the show today? I should ask. Yes, it's called um, Miller Lite. Brought to That's, you by uh, Exotic. Um, have we had that before? No, it's brought to you by uh, the now combined forces of uh, Miller Coors. delightful you know what you're in luck because i'm prepared today i i actually have something new that we haven't covered on here um well not new for me but new for the show um i've had this for a few like a week now Uh, i picked up and i've been on the lookout for this for a while i think i even saw it last year and i never got to it um but i i've got sloops no Santa Nipa on the show today. Um, I don't know if anybody follows Sloop. They're from um, New York State, downstate for us. Um, and they generally tend to do IPAs. I, I really have not seen very many other types of beers from them. I think they do a couple others. But for the most part, they're always doing IPAs. Specifically, Nipas as well. Um, that's really been their go-to for the most recent period of time. Um, they also have a line of no beers the, with a no in parentheses. And uh, I, I was looking for the no pumpkin IPA, which was out for the fall. 
never got around to finding that one. Uh, and now they also have the No Santa. Uh, and both of them are meant to do the same type of thing. Signal that they're not the frilly, um, seasonal type of beverage that you're accustomed to for either the fall or the winter. So in the fall, obviously, you're getting a lot of pumpkin stuff. And so the No Pumpkin IPA was meant to be a disclaimer that, no, you're not getting pumpkin in this beer. It's a straight-up IPA. The same is true of the No Santa Naipa. It is no frills, no candy cane flavors, no, um, you know, gimmicky stouts. Straight up Naipa. Um, so as Martin and I have talked about previously, we may have said it on the show. I can't remember, but well, wait I, a second. What? No gimmick Naipa. Isn't it a Naipa <laughs> a gimmick in of it's itself? In the name, I think. Right? No. Yeah. Uh, I think, but I think we've talked about this on the show before. If not, we've talked about it in person. That Nipas, um, are I think Nipas are great. I love to drink Nipas, but they tend to be overwhelmingly samey. No matter which Nipa you get, um, if you're drinking a Nipa, you you know exactly what you're going to get, and it's going to be citrusy. It's going to be um, possibly like a grapefruit tasty. Uh, tropically flavored, um, hazy. Yep, hazy. And that's pretty much what you get with the No Santa Naipa. Like I said, you know, with Naipas, I really do think that for the, um, a taster that's not super discerning, like me, you really have to have, if you want to taste the difference between a Naipa, you really got to have them back to back where you take a sip of one. And then a sip of the other, and you're like, okay, um, I can taste that difference in the hop there a little bit. Um, and maybe that's just me talking that I don't have a sophisticated palate. But I do tend to find that they all kind of turn together into one flavor in my mind. And it's very hard for me to review a Nipa in any meaningful way. Because I basically just say, yeah, it's pretty hoppy, it's got a tropical flavor, and you know, that's that. Now, I recognize that certain naipas are, they do have distinctive flavors. Some do. Uh, sometimes you get more grapefruit. Sometimes you get a little bit of a different hop in there. Um, but off the top of my head, I can't say with any certainty what exactly No Santa Naipa has that's like a lot different from another naipa. I can say, however, that it's very smooth. It's tasty. It's uh, sessionable and drinkable, even though I think it's um, on the higher end for alcohol percentage. Um, 6.5. So... You know, it's getting up there for a, a single IPA. And um, I, I just think that it is a really good standout Nipa. Uh, it tastes great. But it has the same flavors that you would expect from any other Nipa. So I don't know if that's a glowing review or not for Sloop's No Santa Nipa. In my mind, I I like it a lot. And yet... It's another Nipa. Did I do a good yeah. job describing that to you? Do you do you understand what I'm talking about? I can taste it. You got it. When I said it's another Nipa, that just brings the. the I'm just like, to be to be honest with you. When it comes to a Nipa, uh, at, at least for me to, now to be like an above average one, whatever like fruits and, and hop. Like profile you're going for, it better fucking stand out. Right. So if you're like, if you're just coming in like new Nipa with citrus, it's like what kind of citrus? Orange, tangerines, pineapple. Like if you're not like you know highlighting specific, like being hyper specific now, it may be good. Like okay, you know, but it's not like a good Nipa then. Same thing with like the hops. Like if you're not like specific, you know, pointing out the different hop profiles that you should be getting, you know, shame on you. Because at this at this point now, it's been four five years of this now, and which doesn't seem like a long time, but it's been like a lifetime in like the world of night bus because they've just been, you know, sloops one of them. They got like three hundred different night bus. 
And if you sat down and were told to fucking drink each one, kind of discern different things from them, you'd be probably sitting there scratching your head for a long time. Mm. You know, like I said, I'm like you. I love them. They're very, because they're like, at this point, like when it comes to like IPAs, I like them. But do I ever, like a standard IPA, Ryan, do you now like sit down and be like, man, that's something I got to have? No, it's not. I mean, doesn't, doesn't do too much because it's just yeah. you know. If it's their own, very hot board. Same thing with like like double IPAs. Like double IPAs, no, I like them. They kind of make me cringe though. Cause it's like, oh god. When I when I have a double IPA, you know, it's gonna be good, but you're gonna be sitting there like, like you would like with like an imperial stout, like you know, know that you're in for a taxing effort. So that's so. that. No Santa Nipa. I would, I would, I would search for it. It's, it's, it's good. I, I really enjoy it. Um, it's also expensive. So keep that in mind. Miserly is not within Sloop's uh, vocabulary. That's that's right. That's a that's a good good uh, tie-in to Scrooge here, and uh, a Christmas Carol. You can't be miserly. And swing for sloop. Just all right. So talking about Scrooge here, uh, I think it's easiest to start out by discussing uh, the ghosts that are in this movie because the film follows uh, a lot of the same beats from A Christmas Carol. It you know it has all of the ghostly visitations. Um, it uh, basically is a meta commentary on. A Christmas Carol, and yet it also follows A Christmas Carol pretty much to a T. Besides the fact that it's not Ebenezer Scrooge uh, in the leading role, it's Bill Murray playing Frank Cross. Um, so Frank Cross is this uh, TV uh, executive uh, working at a local, not local, but a cable station that's uh, I think meant to be a stand-in for ABC, right? IBC is the uh, their affiliate name. And it no, seems like I would say more NBC. Yeah, maybe, maybe possibly AB, uh, NBC. It's kind of got like that family friendly, like you won't want to miss this. Uh, this is NBC, NBC primetime. Because that was kind of, especially like in the 80s and 90s, that was kind of what NBC was going for, right? Even more so than CBS, which was more about like adults, uh, like not not adult, but I mean um, older f- people channel programming. NBC was more like family oriented, I feel like, for primetime. And I mean, I'm not really. I was going to say, CBS doesn't even do anything these days. They just. uh, How about another NCIS? How about a procedural? We haven't seen. We haven't seen enough of those. Do you. What what do you think about. um, uh, What what city haven't we done yet? Let's do. uh, Let's, you know, let's do something. NCIS. Loop. uh, uh, Lubbock, Texas. (laughs) Uh, That's not really that far from the truth, to be honest with you, because you're starting to get really ridiculous city procedurals that are coming out. (laughs) They're just like, you know, we can't do another New York. We can't do another L.A. Got to do something else. But yeah, I think this uh, this IBC, you're right, is probably a stand-in for NBC. And uh, as we pick up within Scrooged, uh, we see the um, initial broadcasting that they have for Christmas Eve, uh, which is a big time for, for cable, I guess, in the 80s. For now, it's really not. I mean, we had talked about this before, but uh, most channels are not programming for Christmas Eve anymore. That's like a, a dated thing of the past. You don't. You know, you're huddle around the TV like, come on, kids. After you know, nice, uh, nice Chris, uh, you know, Christmas family dinner, something, Christmas Eve dinner, and a little party. Gather around the old television. Let's let's see what they got planned for us. Yeah, that's not really a thing anymore. Uh, you know, unless you're popping on like one of the movie reruns, like Christmas Vacation or a Christmas Story for Christmas Eve programming. If no, they, watching, that's not even Christmas. That's not even the uh, Christmas Eve program. That's Christmas Day. They air that on TBS. Well, it starts at eight p.m. Eight p.m. on Christmas Eve is uh, is the that because that, that, that's always when I watch it ritualistically, watching it on Christmas Eve. 
but other than so, yeah, if you are planning programming for Christmas Eve now, uh, you would certainly have to compete with the twenty-four hours of a Christmas Carol. Actually, if anything, like with like when it comes to <clears throat> Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, NBA basketball is a big thing, especially on Christmas True. Day. They have like a fuck ton of games now, and, and, and hockey and the uh, the uh, <laughs> open air hockey. Yeah, well. that's for New Year's Day. That's uh, the Winter Classic. Oh shit! Yeah, you're right. Yep, that's the Winter Classic. That's right. It's uh, New Year's. I'm getting my holidays confused now on what I Close watch. Close enough. But yeah, it's NBA only a week is. Away. Yeah, NBA is is uh, is correct. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. So yeah, yeah, they're not really programming a lot for Christmas, but you know what? In Scrooge. That's IBC's job. They're 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 actually like making it part of their uh, catalog to be the Christmas station. They even have a new slogan. It says "You'll love it," and the <laughs> "You'll" as in "You'll log." Uh, very punny, very witty. I'm sure Bill Murray's character came up with that one. Loved it. <laughs> You'll love it. Um, but when we meet Bill Murray's character, the distinction here. Is that unlike Ebenezer Scrooge, Bill Murray's character Frank? He's not Scrooge, by the way. He's Frank. Uh, his character is not like super unlikable in the sense that he has no personality. He's you know he's not uh, he, he's not as dim as Scrooge is when we first meet him. Uh, instead, he's more of just like a wry asshole, and that's like his whole shtick in this. Peter uh, Peter Bankman, if he actually was successful. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 His his whole shtick is to be, you know, he's he's funny, he's sarcastic, but also a total dick to pretty much everybody at the studio. And it is Venkman if he was not fighting ghosts, <laughs> but fighting TV channel producers. <clears throat> I was gonna say, well, well, I was gonna say it's because he turned that uh, public syndicated, you know show about psychics and stuff into a real career, you know, became the head of the channel. Absolutely. So we, uh, we see like the, the first thing that we see, uh, is a trailer for an action packed Christmas Eve movie special that is going to be airing, uh, which has a great soundtrack from the none other than Danny Elfman, Danny Elfman, is Danny Elfman. You know it. You just, whenever you hear it, you're like, yeah, that's a fucking Danny Elfman soundtrack. Do you think and he just, one, do you think he just like has like, you know, he like takes basically the same like thing and just kind of like, I'll move a note here, move a note there. Well, this uh, soundtrack in particular is very reminiscent of A Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, very reminiscent. Like that opening score you could you could transplant that into a nightmare before christmas and it wouldn't really feel out of place at all or vice versa put a, a nightmare before christmas song into scrooge probably wouldn't notice so yeah i i mean in this case i think he was taking a lot of the same beats in it was also probably written around the same time because the nightmare before christmas was in production for quite a while before it actually ended up um uh, being released, and if you uh, want to know more about that production, watch the holiday movies that made us on Netflix, where they go into detail about A Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that Danny Elfman was using a lot of the same elements to his scores here, and it, it's, well, it's, it's well, I mean, the same thing too. Beetlejuice came out in '88 as well, so yep, and and it's similar. I would say not as similar to, uh, to this film as A Nightmare Before Christmas is. I mean, they really are extremely similar. Um, and I love the score, to be honest with you, but it's, you know, it immediately you're like, that's Danny Elfman. I don't, you don't need any more information. So we get a bunch of trailers at the beginning of this movie, but the one that they're really working on, the one that's like the piece de resistance for IBC is their live special Scrooge. They're going to be putting that on, on Christmas Eve. And Bill Murray's character, Frank, is he's, he's personally responsible for this production. And uh, he's looking for it to be a little bit more, uh, the tra- at least the trailer, a little bit more uh, action-packed, a little bit more uh, pulling the viewer in. So he's got a ridiculous, uh, almost Mondo trailer for Scrooge <laughs> that really has no idea. No, uh, business advertising the uh, special that it's going to be which is a great 
great moment. And not only that, but right away you get that reference to um to some of the people that are in the Scrooge special, <laughs> which looks to be a star-studded cast. <laughs> I mean, you've even got um, Mary Lou Retton as Tiny Tim. <laughs> doing, and you see, seeing her doing the fucking like handsprings and shit. <laughs> Basically springboarding off. And... <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. I really am curious. I wish we got to see that special a little bit more. Because I'm curious, you know, how she's playing Tiny Tim in this special. You know, what what, what kind of a, a disability does Tiny Tim have in this one where he's now become a, you know, a professional gymnast at the end? <laughs> no, because it's kind of like, I can like you know, just it would have been funny to see her limping around all show, only for her like at the end to be like, fuck, you know, doing the back handsprings, somersaults, and, and twists, yeah. and whatever other gymnast uh, vocabulary that you can think of. That's what she's doing in the Scrooge production. Got, but anyway, uh, yeah, nice uh, um, rap score and ladies with their nipples showing. Their nipples right. are showing. I was. Uh, I actually saw this on TV as well. Um, after we watched the movie itself, and um, I was curious how they were going to do that nipple sequence, and they it was actually pretty tasteful. They just don't show that front on view of the uh, the woman because in this in this film you actually get to see like the little areola peeking out, and in the, the most version, the most offensive part of the human body. That, that's right. Exactly. Like. You can have literally all the entire rest of the breast out, but to show that areola and nipple, mm-mm. That's how you know it's a boob instead of just a hanging sack of you know flesh. It's a lump. It's a uh, it's a tumor. It, it could be anything until you <laughs> show the areola and nipple. No one's titillated by a tumor. <laughs> that could have been uh, another IBC. Uh, slogan don't be titillated by a tumor yeah no one's titillated by a tumor (laughs) so anyway you know we've got bill murray playing frank he's the scrooge character stand in uh pretty clearly from the beginning of the film uh he makes it known that he's really not into a christmas carol at all he doesn't appreciate it and so of course because he's such an asshole he's such a dick and he fires bobcat goldthwaite on christmas eve he gets a visit from the ghosts of Christmas past, future, and present. I just like, though, within a day, though, Bobcat Goldthwait's life just went, you know, from being Bobcat Goldthwait. Uh, <laughs> Bobcat a, yeah. Yeah, and, and to just being, uh, you know, wife left me, and I'm drunk all the time now, and yeah, every passing car drives through a puddle that gets me. Yeah, the film kind of goes... Uh, you know, obviously, its main focus is Frank, but uh, on occasion, it cuts back to Bobcat Goldthwait in various elements of, you know, going through a, a major depression or a, a psychiatric uh, mental illness. Um, from He starts out, you know, after he gets fired, he's like, she won't, she won't mind, right? And then um, maybe maybe he's actually schizophrenic, and the fact that his health care was tied to you know his job, he's like, oh, I can't afford my meds no more, you know. And yeah, pretty much. It, it, yeah. And then you know he goes from goes from just you know being like it's all right, you know we'll be all right to uh, uh, homicidal with a shotgun <laughs> later on in the film, and the film keeps cutting back to him like throughout in, in his uh, his decline. So. Obviously, we know that Frank is the one that's going to be our Scrooge stand-in for visitation. He's he's a total asshole. And so he initially gets a visit from uh, the um, his friend, the ghost of his – yeah, his uh, mentor from TV production. Former head of IBC. That's right. And that's a nice um, – I like that callback to Marley from – uh, you know, the original Christmas Carol, because it's pretty much meant to be the same idea. Um, it's And actually, the way that the ghost is portrayed here is almost like uh, like a, American Werewolf in London style uh, with, like, you know, the, the zombie-type ghost that, that appears. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, you know, the film plays it up kind of, uh, kind of, you know, intentionally 
comedically gruesome and that, you know, Bill Murray pulls out his gun and shoots him like four times while he's uh, taking a drink and uh, it all runs out of his, his stomach. Uh, so there's like kind of a, you know, there's a, a, ch- a cheesy, you know, intentionally uh, goofy approach to the horror element of a, a Christmas Carol that Scrooge puts on. And that kind of comes up throughout the film, especially with the ghost of uh, Christmas Future. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously, we know Richard Donner has been affiliated with some hard, more, you know, harder films than uh, Scrooge, Lethal Weapon being one of them, which we've covered in a previous podcast episode. But uh, I, I like the way that the the ghosts are portrayed that follows a Christmas Carol and yet does its own thing a little bit. You know, it's it's got its own unique twist on the characters because this is, a, as you said, it's a meta film, but also a true rendition of A Christmas Carol as well. It pretty much goes through the motions exactly like A Christmas Carol. So I'm, at, I'm questioning, what is your favorite ghost of the film? Which one do you like the most? Like me, uh, the ghost of Christmas Pass. Okay. Nice, sleazy New York cabbie. Especially, like, you know, that nice, like, cabbie. Uh, kind of like in Home Alone uh, when Kevin's running around New York City and he's like, Watch it, kid! It's kind of like what this guy's like. I love it. Kind of, yep. Uh, either that or like sort of also like the cabbie that's in um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles as well. Or that guy, Doobie, that mm-hmm. chauffeurs them to their uh, initial hotel. Uh, it's kind of like that as well. And you and David Johansson, who plays the cabbie, is better known as part of the punk scene for the uh, of the time for New York. New York Dolls. Yeah. He does a pretty good job here, uh, you know, as a as a uh, crazy cab driver, really leaning into the role. I think he does a good job. I guess I would say my it's probably pretty obvious which one mine is, but I'm going to go with the Ghost of Christmas Future simply because of that uh, element of Bill Murray opening his uh, cloak. And seeing like all of the souls that are kind of within that cloak. It's a nice little uh, practical effect moment. And I also like too that it incorporates the television uh, part of, of uh, Frank's, um, you know, his, uh, his haunting. It, you know, it incorporates television in there. Because that's always been a big part of his life. As we see from the Ghost of Christmas Past. Uh, and then we know of his TV production and uh, the Ghost of Christmas past also shows us like the uh, the dog that he used to play uh, when he was on TV for a little while before he got into you know the executive role. And so the Ghost of Christmas Future has that TV as part of its um, uh, view into the future, which I thought was really clever. So it's a good uh, good remix on the actual Ghost of Christmas Future. Listen, that's the best part about the Ghost of Christmas Past is just the simple fact that in their late 60s and early 70s, fucking Bill Murray's walking around with the mullet of all time. Slicked. Beautiful. I love the fact they didn't change his hair or anything. While everyone else is like doing these nice, you know, roll looks and stuff, he's still got that fucking mullet. It is a great mullet. It really is. And it's, you know what? It's ironically in style now. That ironic mullet is coming back in style, or so I'm told. It's great. And then nice Christmas party, get to see, you know, you know, get to see someone doing photocopies of their butts and passing it out as a Christmas gift. Bill Murray act- calling his past self an idiot for not queuing in on that uh, flirtation. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. It is funny, though, too. He's like, oh, I'm such a fucking idiot. Because then the next moment you get to, you know, he gets to meet Karen Allen. I guess exactly. And it, I guess the so-called love of your life. But, you know, he, I don't know. Right. Yeah. He's uh, 
it's kind of funny to yeah how it treats Karen because it's almost as though Karen is like um yes his love but also he's I don't know he just doesn't seem super interested in her it's more of like a fallback for him um because even at the end of the movie when he's had his uh epiphany and he's in the TV production and kind of Bill Murray's going throughout his uh seemingly ad-libbed um speech he uh he you know he goes right from making out with a a dancer just to show like it means nothing to me exactly and karen's right there you know and then he gets back with karen it's kind of like oh all right plus it just seems so weird too just because i mean i I know it's the movies i i'm not saying excuse me i'm not saying bill murray and Karen Allen have uh, bad chemistry. They don't, but it just it does seem weird that you know somebody who is pretty narcissistic, you know, would end up with somebody who's like, "I take care of the less fortunate." That's right, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't really seem like uh, a good match for them. You know, um, the other thing about Christmas Past that's that's pretty great is that whole sequence with. Um, Bill Murray and his father when he's very young, you know, like eight years old. And on Christmas Eve, his father brings him home five pounds of veal. And Bill Murray's not satisfied. Let's say, who's his father, Ryan? His his father is Brian Doyle Murray, who we have a love affair for on this show. And always have liked Brian Doyle Murray. But uh, that's a great moment because even in 1988, Bill Murray comments, and that, that, it is one of the best lines when, like, because the cabbie's like, "You're gonna have waterworks, waterworks." You see in this memory, and then after Bill Murray's standing there crying, he's like, "See, I told you, waterworks." Like, it's not about the moment. That was a really thoughtful gift. You know how much that veal cost. I know, and now veal's probably even more expensive than. Than that for five yeah, five, five pounds five of veal. Pounds? Jesus, that's that's quite a bit of, of veal. You know, and I'm not a huge fan of veal, but I'd take it. I'd take it. Still, still could use it. <laughs> but that's that's a that's probably one of the best moments of the Christmas past and and the film itself. I think. Uh, just just thinking about that veal and what he could have done with it. <laughs> So no love for Ghost of Christmas Present, huh, Carol Kane? No, I think she's very good, too. Uh, Ghost of Christmas Future is the one that I was bored with because you could tell that by the time that shows up, it's like, you know, there's only 20 minutes left in the film. And it's like, get that going. And, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, it's kind of kind of rushed a little bit at the end there. Um, But no, she, Carol Kane's good. I like the whole, like, you know, getting to see... Um, that even in the 80s, families were still gathered around playing like Trivial Pursuit and sucking balls at it. <laughs> I, I felt Bill Murray's pain sitting there. When like, oh, what, what was the name of the ship on Gilligan's Island? The, the trout? Uh, and like Bill Murray's just, you know, it's, it's the so you're, you're offended. You're offended too. Yeah, absolutely. I felt his pain greatly. I agree. If you're going to play Trivia Pursuit, make sure you're good at it. Because if you're not, your partners are going to have a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, think, I was going to say, it's created such great moments as your father screaming at the top of his lungs, Janet Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I think Carol Kane does a pretty good job as the uh, Ghost of Christmas present as well. I think... Um, like her nice uh, Glen, Glenda the Good Witch from Wizard of Oz. Like, well, yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's kind of what they were going for, and they they went a lot of a, a very different way than you know the uh, a, a Christmas Carol, Ghost of Christmas Present. It's uh, you know, they 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 went they definitely took that on themselves to do something different, which I thought was interesting, and also that she's somewhat abusive throughout. Yeah, that's funny. I, I think that slapstick's really good. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. But other than that, I think that the present part of it is not as interesting within the film itself. I think the past 
does the most amount of work for Scrooge. Because you need that. You need that like context of why should we care about Frank at all? You know, he's been a dick and we see all of this stuff that he's been doing to his um to co-workers. his uh, secretary and coworkers family. Uh, so so you need that past context to say like why should we care about him at all? And then we see the uh, his, you know, coworkers and family like what's going on in their lives that he's not seeing because he's a piece of shit. Yep. You know, you get that great line from his brother when he's like, I got him a frame picture and stuff, you know. And he's like, well, why, like, why do you invite him every year, you know, if he never comes because he's so busy with work? And he's like, well, he's my brother. You know, it's like, oh. Oh, damn you, you know. Great. So, the film has some really good moments. Um, you know, we talked about a lot of them. Uh, any others that we had we didn't talk of that you can think of that were you know kind of stand out? This film is it's more of a you know it's kind of a wry comedy to it. it doesn't have like a lot of um, laugh out loud funny moments, but it's kind of in the wheelhouse of Bill Murray's other '80s comedies that he would do. Um, probably one of his better '80s comedies, to be honest with you. Um, I would say I love the part where um, he's responsible. You know, the um, he inadvertently has an old woman killed because they changed the ad from the lighthearted, like, it's gonna be a Scrooge Christmas to, you know, drugs. Violent street crime. Terrorism! You see a plane blow up and it's like, this Christmas Scrooge. And that ad struck such fear into the hearts of one old woman, it killed her. And when uh, his secretary is trying to say, like, they want to comment, and he's like, you know, good, good, that'll give us ratings. You know, he's saying offhand, and she goes, it'll be like, and he's like, no, no, no. And he's like, we're sorry that, you know, you know, we take this very seriously. It, you know, this, the 80s must have been really soft, because not only does that lady die from this ad, but the, also all of the other board members coming out of that uh, meeting are like sweating profusely about the ad. And some are, are like coughing into their hankies. Like they're going to vomit from it. These people are soft. Gordon Gecko would not approve of these people being on a fucking, you know, board of a television network. It's like, Oh, absolutely. There's hip hop, hip hop and booty shaking. One of my favorite moments is like a really small one where uh, Bill Murray is, you know, he's uh, on his way home or I'm sorry, not yet, not even on his way home. He's going to the restaurant and he's getting a taxi cab and an old lady has hailed it and she's got a bunch of packages. That's the same, that's the same old lady that dies too. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great moment where he just, he just <laughs> grabs that, you know what? Takes that taxi cab and hightails it out of there. Is there a redemption arc, you know, for that moment? Like, or is that like an in, infinite and like, you know, like no matter what you do after that, you can have like curates and you get up to heaven. St. Peter's stuck. No, you're not getting in, bud. That was like the end all be all. You can't, you can't steal a cab and kill an old lady and then expect to get into heaven. Yeah. No matter. Like there's no, like there's no, there's no recovery from that. I don't know. I I guess because yeah, he does it so nonchalantly too. It's great. Like, oh hey, you dropped something. Yeah. <laughs> like sitting there looking, he just gets in and like waves to her, like bye, soccer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's a you know the one of the reasons why I like it is it's, it's such a like a fast paced scene. It just happens. You know, there's not a lot of cuts or anything like that. It just kind of happens. And you don't even it, almost for a it's almost like a beat where you're just like what just happened. It's a it's a, it's a great moment. Um, what did you think of the uh, end of the film with um, Bill Murray's like takeover of the studio on on Christmas Eve as uh, he they're in the live production of Scrooge and he kind of comes in and you know, starts speaking directly to the camera, which is directly to the audience, which is both people watching on TV and us. What, what did you think about that, the whole speech that he gives? It's fine. I think it's... it's, fine. I, it's I think a, it's a little I rambling. 
to be honest with you. And that's why that's where I get that ad libbed feel from is that it sort of almost feels like Bill Murray is searching for words in that scene. And it kind of went on without edits uh, for too long. Yeah, probably. They probably let him just, you know, improv and go. My only my only problem is is like the kind of the premises. Even by that point in the eighties, kind of you know cliche, like you know, like here, let me. You know what we were gonna do this, but no, we're not doing that. This is what we're gonna do now. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I just. But then, I again, found it- but then again, that's the same thing though with like uh, a Christmas, uh, you know, Christmas Carol, Scrooge, like like you know, like. You know, yeah, he, yeah, he kind of goes on that same rant. Except, I just felt like in this case, you know, Bill Murray was kind of searching for words at some points. Like it was, uh, you know, it was definitely seemed like it was ad libbed, and then we, it was almost there were no cuts to it. They just kind of let it go as is. Um, one thing we didn't talk about is the Tiny Tim stand-in. Uh, it's actually his secretary's son, who throughout the film we learn has not talked yet, and so he's been going to doctors' offices, and she's basically living in almost poverty level because he doesn't pay enough at work, and she doesn't get a bonus. We, there's a there's a big sequence where he, Bill Murray's doing his uh, his Christmas gifts and <laughs> giving people either t- uh, bath towels or uh, a VCR, and he asks her to put herself down for a bath towel. Listen. It may seem wrong, but it's not. The older you get, the more you appreciate things like that. Because it's shit you need, but you're not going to buy. Like, oh, fuck, I could use a new frying pan. I want to buy a frying pan. Long comes Christmas, and someone's like, I bought this guy a frying pan because I know he needs a frying pan. You're just like, this is good. This is good. Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, maybe maybe uh, most people are not like bath towel is a nice gift, but for a lot of people, gifts are best when they're things that you would not want to buy yourself. Because guess what? You dodged a bullet. Someone exactly. Since someone took care of it, you're free to save that money and buy something you really wanted to buy. Because like, I need a new. Like, I want to get a new shower curtain. I was at Target. It was like $30. I'm not buying a new fucking shower curtain. But if I, somebody got me one for Christmas, I'd be like, wow, thank you. I you definitely need it. that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. A bath towel is not a terrible gift. But. They're, they're, it, and they're not, they're not cheap anymore either, for God's sakes, you know? All right. All right. But what is a terrible gift is not getting a bonus for Christmas. And that's basically what Bill Murray makes clear to his secretary. And obviously they're struggling. And that's part of the Ghost of Christmas present. It's supposed to show Bill Murray what his secretary is going through when he doesn't pay her enough money. Um, so what did you think of the Tiny Tim stand-in, which is that the, the kid who doesn't talk. And then eventually on Christmas Eve, he utters the Tiny Tim uh, words of legend. God bless us, everyone. He's all right. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he's for a child actor. He's pretty good. Fine. You know. Yeah, I thought it was. Interesting. I think, I think, I think the point you're missing is that Bill Murray should have been telling, uh, his secretary to, you know, be a little bit more responsible. Having like five kids as a single mother, you know, that's responsibility. Why why did her husband get shot and killed a couple of years ago? You know, you should have thought about that before, you know, you lived in the neighborhood. You did. Come on now. He was right. He was right. He didn't yeah, say those things, but those are things he probably would have said. If they definitely didn't want him to have a redemption arc, then yeah, they could have had him say, <laughs> say that. You know, a developmentally uh, disabled child, you shouldn't have had them. <laughs> it would have been great. He's like, here, what'd you get? I gave you some bootstraps. Pull yourself up. Come on. <laughs> I did it. 
God damn it. I went from making copies and, you know, being like the copy boy. And then I was a fucking Barney the, the dog. And now look at me. Executive. It was all my hard hard work, god damn it. Um anything else that we missed that we didn't talk about so far? Anything you can think of that we we didn't cover that you wanted to? What'd you think of uh Bryce, the guy that's trying to uh get uh Bill Murray's job? Oh yeah, that guy. Um John Glover plays him. And uh, I thought it was I thought he was a great addition because he's like sort of the opposite of Bill Murray, even even when he's, you know, in his role as an executive, he's still kind of got like a, I don't know, happy go lucky attitude to him, I guess. And he's, I lo- he I sort love of plays part- that foil. I love the part where he's well, he's a, he's happy go lucky, but he's also just like Bill Murray, you know. Yeah, he can be. Yeah, he's conniving and wants to, you know get the spotlight because he was brought in as a consultant. But I just love it. Like, all right, guys, go to lunch. Guys, go to lunch. Go take your lunch. And then Bill Murray's like, I say when we go to lunch. Like, oh, you want me to call him back? Call him back? Okay, no, I shouldn't call him lunch. You call him back now. Call him back now. And, you know, you can call him to lunch. You want to go to lunch? And, you know. That's <laughs> why so I love that part. That part's freaking funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I like the guy. I think he's pretty funny. Um, You know, especially during that He's kind of like that foil where Bill Murray shows up and we're like, "There, Frank, we're looking for you. Where, where have you been, Frank? We're looking for you." He's like, "Oh, you want? Do you want to call it? Did you? Are you? Are, are you mad that I called lunch? Did you want to call it yourself? You can call it. Uh, everybody, come back, come back. <laughs> Frank's got something to say." <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny to be honest with you. I, I like, I like Bryce. What'd you, uh, what'd you think of the lumpy nickname? Did you, did you like that? That wasn't God, you know. It's a way to try to add some sort of chemistry, which I don't know that you know Bill Murray and um, Karen Allen really have in the in it. So the nickname is sort of that you know stand in for any other actual romantic interest that you the audience is supposed to uh, to get from them because I don't think it's I don't I just don't. Really think they have a lot of chemistry on the on scene. No, and you can tell they're trying to go for like the Sigourney Weaver feel from like Ghostbusters between the two of them. Doesn't work as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think you know it, it was fun though getting to see how he became lumpy in the past part when he's just coming to out of the building and you know cracks his head, you know. Yep. All right, so I should—I guess we should give Scrooge a rating. I got to think of a scale because I don't know if I have one. I guess on a scale of zero to ten, homicidal Bobcat Goldthwaites. What would you give Scrooge? It would have been wrong if you didn't either go with something doing with Bobcat Goldwaith or five pounds of veal. That's right. Yeah, I could have done five pounds of veal as well. Um, I'll give it an eight. I really like this movie. I'm kind of shocked that it's been this long to not see it because I like Bill Murray movies. I like Bill Murray. I like Richard Donner's films for the most part. Kind of surprised this always flew under the radar. Might be just because it's a Christmas movie and they're not anything that I go out of my way to see. Um, I th- you're right. It is a right comedy. It's definitely drier for the most part. But it's great. Bill Murray in this is in great form. Uh, essentially carries the film, you know, just by being Bill Murray. I like the new take on Scrooge. It probably hasn't aged that well because it's hyper 80s now and kind of the pr- premise. But I think it works really well. Um, and that you can kind of, you know, look past. Um, I like the, you know, I definitely like the Ghost of Christmas Past and Christmas Present. The, you know, those bits were real cool. 
I think maybe if the film was a little longer, they could have, you know, especially with, like the Ghost of Christmas Future, they could have went a little further than just him being, you know, fucking dead and getting cremated. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have done a little bit more to see how his negativity, because we also get to see too, like uh, which we didn't mention, like how his negativity, and then when he if he gets with you know, Karen Allen, she turns into a fucking chain-smoking, teeth-falling-out bitter asshole herself, you know. She basically does the whole, like, bootstraps thing, you know, when she's sitting down with, like, you know, afternoon lunch, you know. But it's really funny. I like it. I like, you know, the whole ending is nice, too. It, Like you said, he does ramble. But it's nice, and I like at the end, too, when they're at, you know, it starts breaking the song as they're going into the credits, you know. That's nice. Yeah. It's a nice, nice Christmas film. Yeah, I would, I would give it an 8 as well. I have liked this film before. Um, I think it's a, a really fun film. Um, it's got a lot of, uh, like I said, this is sort of like a wry comedy to it. Um and I, I do like as well that it, it plays off of A Christmas Carol and it does a sort of a commentary on it, but it also has its own way with A Christmas Carol and, ha- and, and does its own thing. And I think that's uh, really interesting and something that you don't often get from Christmas Carol films. Uh, most of the time, they're pretty straightforward with wh- how they do A Christmas Carol. Some may be updated for modern times, but for the most part, they try to play it the same way. Scrooge isn't like that. It kind of goes in a different direction. I really think that that's one of its um main attractions uh, especially for people who are just c- kind of sick of a christmas carol you know there's so many renditions of a christmas carol you don't need to watch it over and over throughout the christmas season so scrooge kind of helps with that um you know that that fatigue that you get from watching a christmas carol and it's a little bit of a different uh, christmas film for the holidays as well um you know it kind of goes well with a christmas vacation scrooged double feature i would say uh, so I definitely enjoy it, and um, while I don't normally watch it every single year, I think that might change for the, the coming seasons, because I, I really did have fun with it. <clears throat> Listen, if you can fit Dutch into your fucking schedule of films, you can fit Scrooge in. It's true. That's true. I can, I can fit it in. <laughs> definitely. All right, so um, we are going to be back next well, it's actually technically going to be this week because we're a little late on this episode. We had some um, technical difficulties with it. So we're going to get this one up this week and then also have another movie for you uh, the same week just before Christmas. So it's a, a Christmas, uh, I guess, buffet for you, all you listeners out there. Because next the next episode, we're going to do Jack Frost, which is technically not a Christmas film. So it's okay if we miss the Christmas uh, holiday, but it sh- certainly is one that you you want to check out because it's it's a rid- first of all it's a ridiculous film, uh, and no I'm not talking about the Michael Keaton movie I'm talking about the 1997 slasher horror film Jack Frost, and what we like to refer to it as is the film that has Shannon Elizabeth in it. Oh, does it now? It does. Oh. So that'll be something what, what, to look forward to. What about Michael Keaton? It doesn't have Michael Keaton. No, I'm sorry. You wish it did. Everybody wishes it did, but it doesn't, unfortunately. Well, but it's a, but it's a it's a it's a fun, stupid film. I think we'll I think we'll have a fun time uh, riffing on it for the podcast. So everybody, stay tuned oh, for wow. that. That should be coming at you really soon. I honestly thought. The Michael Keaton Jack Frost came first. I didn't know that. Jack I, Frost I didn't the know. Slasher movie was 1997. And Jack Frost the Michael Keaton vehicle was 98. Oh. Well, wouldn't you know? God, that movie poster is fucking dreadful. Damn. <laughs> For both of them. Come on, right. you don't want to know about this guy that wants to be Bruce Springsteen, just, you know, living the life, and the Jack Frost band. 
We'll do that one next year. We should do snow day. Absolutely. At some point we will. All right. So we'll be back next time with Jack Frost. Uh, until then, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter at blood and black rum. We have, uh, you know, a, an email address at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. We are on pretty much every single podcasting app that you can think of. So subscribe to us, leave us a nice review. That always helps us out. And uh, you can donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash blood and black rum podcast. Anything that you can donate is super helpful, helps us with hosting fees and stuff like that. So we appreciate anything you can throw our way. Thanks for listening to us uh, in this holiday season and, and tuning into our Festivus series. And make sure to check back for our last episode on Jack Frost next time. Take care.